0: Welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. So I want you to go ahead and I want you to turn to the person next to you or turn to the person in front of you, turn to the person behind you. Whoever their closest person to you is, just turn to them, give them a great big smile and say, I remember And once you say, I remember, go ahead and fill in the rest of that sentence. What do you remember about them? For some of you, it's getting awful, awful quiet. You're not sure what you remember about anybody. Some of you are saying, I didn't do it. I don't know what you think I did. I didn't do it. Memories and reminders are, are big. So we are are close to the time of Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving season. It's it's the month of Thanksgiving, if you would, in November. Certainly we are having our all-church Thanksgiving meal following the service. And uh, so it's, it's that time when Thanksgiving comes to mind. Well, one particular Thanksgiving evening, a family was seated around their table, and they're looking at their annual Thanksgiving turkey. From the oldest to the youngest, they were to go and express their thanks or praise or appreciation. So one by one, they share things that they were thankful for until they came to the five-year-old in the family. Now, this five-year-old began by looking at the turkey and expressing his thanks to the turkey, saying that although he had not tasted it, he knew it would be a good, yummy turkey. Well, after that rather novel expression of thanksgiving, he began with a little bit more of a predictable line of credit, thanking his mother for cooking the turkey, thanking his father for buying and slicing the turkey. But then he went beyond that. He joined together a whole multitude of individuals, linking them together, as you'll see, with cause and effect. He said, I want to thank the man who made the feed to feed that turkey and get all that good meat on there. I want to thank the farmer who fed the feed to the turkey to make that turkey fat. I want to thank the truck driver who brought the turkey from the farmer to the store. And I want to thank all the grocery store people who put the turkey on the shelf and in that little freezer compartment. And well, certainly I want to thank the checker at the grocery store line for checking out the turkey. I mean, on and on and on he went with this just brilliant uh, deduction of mentioning everybody from beginning to end or end back to the beginning tracing the turkey from its origin all the way now sitting in front of him in his plate. He gets done and he takes a deep breath and he solemnly said, Did I leave anybody out? His older brother, sort of embarrassed by all of these proceedings, very shortly and briefly said, God, Solemnly, without being flustered at all, the little five-year-old said, I was about to get to him. But isn't that the question that we've got to think about? When it comes to thanksgiving, we're thankful for a lot. And if we were to stop and think about our lives and, and think about the blessings we experience, think about just stuff... We could name a whole lot of things, but would we truly get to God? As the five year old said. So, today, being that uh, uh, though it's a little bit early and we're preparing for our Thanksgiving meal, and we're gonna be looking at well, what ought we to be thankful for, and we're gonna have a little bit of a reminder, if you would, a number of Thanksgiving reminders. We're going to take a look at a rather familiar story. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. So throughout the message, you can be thinking about, now what was it that I remember about you? You know that one in front of you, that one to the side of you, the, the one behind you? You said, I remember. You're going to have to fill that in somewhere. Maybe you can fill it in with, I remember something good you did. All right. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to start with verse 11. It says, Now on His way, this is Jesus, On His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him, and they stood at a distance. The uh, first thing that we can remember here, a first Thanksgiving reminder is we can remember our desperate situation. Remember our desperate situation. Now, these individuals, these lepers with the disease of leprosy, that was a rather horrible disease. It kind of was a a flesh eating disease, It, it was a feared disease. People did not want to contract leprosy. I mean, it was was painful physically with with the sores and the various things where it would eat away at some of the, the skin that you would have, your flesh. So you didn't want to experience that because it certainly didn't feel good. But not only was it difficult and painful physically, it was also rather difficult to experience personally and emotionally because you were considered to be unclean. And you needed to be separate or separated from others. You would be proclaimed unclean by a priest... There are many different uh, instructions. If you look into the Old Testament law with skin disease and how you would present yourself to the priest, the spiritual leader, he would look at you to see how that skin disease was progressing and whether you would be considered unclean. If so, you, you, know, you tear your clothes, you shave your head, you're, you're kind of quarantined, separated from everybody else. So right now, just think about your life. Think about your home, your family, your school, your job, your community, your church body. And now try to visualize that all those people you see on a monthly, weekly, daily basis are just stripped away and they're gone because in a sense you're kind of placed aside, almost kind of quarantined, separated with a bunch of other sick, leprosy-contained people. So you're not hanging out at home like everybody else does. You're not hanging out with everybody in your community as you were before. You have been separate. You have been separated because of this skin disease. It, it is something that was contagious. It was something that other people were able to get. And so you were to be set aside. That's a pretty desperate situation. Individuals who lived like this, no doubt, craved some of that physical interaction, that connection with people. I mean, it's not quite like being put in solitary confinement in a prison, but you are definitely separated and you do not have that interaction that most people would have. And so we read that they stood at a distance. There were 10 individuals, 10 men with leprosy. Now, the... The Jewish tradition would say that these individuals would need to be about 100 paces away, maybe 100 steps. So if you're looking at an average step, maybe two or three feet, you're you're talking, man, they're two to 300 feet away, almost a football field away from everybody else, and they would have to shout, unclean, unclean to make sure that everybody around them knew that they were unclean, they had leprosy, they were not to mingle. These, these were the individuals, these were, this was the desperate situation that these men were going through. Some in that day and time, as lepers, were called the walking dead. So not just a television show from the 2000s, but it's actually a rather pretty accurate depiction of what was taking place. They weren't dead. They were walking, but they might as well have been. When you experience leprosy, you're not hanging out with everybody. You're not connecting with everybody. So you might as well be dead but you're still alive. You're not. It's this contrast. So what you've got keeps you from experiencing life the way everybody does, but it's not really life. So they were termed that. They were, in a sense, outcasts. Now we look at that, and these individuals were in a rather desperate situation. Here's the thing that probably describes you and I. Okay, maybe not so much the aspect of the flesh-eating skin disease, but you and I have this thing where, well, the Bible calls it sin. It's a pretty desperate situation in that sin eats away at our hearts and eats away at our lives, and sin does separate us from God. God. The Bible says that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says we all have that. It causes us to be spiritual outcasts. Unless we come to the Lord, unless He comes and cleanses and, and forgives us, we are not able to be with Him in heaven. Sin separates. So Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. We have no help. You and I are in a rather desperate situation. Not with a skin disease, but with the issue of sin. And what kinds of sins and how many is not necessarily the point. The Bible simply says we've all sinned. You go figure out amongst yourselves who sinned more and most. That's, That's not necessarily the point. We've sinned. We're in a desperate situation. As we stop and as we pause and as we look to the Word of God, and particularly this month and these next couple of weeks, a Thanksgiving reminder right off the bat is we can remember the desperate situation that we were in without Jesus Christ. For what we're about to see, they're about to meet Jesus. But at this particular point, they were standing at a distance as Jesus was walking past. Now, we don't necessarily need to glorify the the B.C. days, the before Christ days. So we take a look in a a survey of a church congregation. Certainly there's individuals who who had quite a past and and who were involved in a a lot of different things, a lot of different kinds of sins, and God saved and cleansed and forgave. There's also individuals who maybe didn't have this incredible history of sin, maybe not the numbers, maybe not the seriousness that sometimes we identify with sin, but sins nonetheless. Each and every one of us without Christ We're in a desperate situation. So when it comes to thanksgiving, let us be thankful for the fact if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be thankful for the fact of his cleansing, of his forgiveness, of that brand new start that was given to us. For we look at these Lepers, these men with leprosy, and they were in a very desperate situation looking to get to Jesus. So let's not just remember that we've, we've come from a desperate situation without Christ. But secondly, we can remember that he's approachable. God is approachable. See, at the end of verse 12, it says that they stood at a distance Verse 13 continues, they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. See, you and I, we were involved in a pretty desperate situation. Whatever our sin was, it's a life of sin that without God, without His love and cleansing and forgiveness, keeps us from Him and keeps us from that walk and that relationship with Him these men found out that he was approachable. Now, they were following the norms. They were following the, the habits of the day, that they were such a, a, a wide distance and, and, and big distance away that they would shout out and call out to him. They were calling out for pity and calling out for mercy. Now, just a, a couple verses ago, we read that Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. See, Jesus has a heart to go where many people won't go. Samaria well, was a part where you know they were kind of thought of as spiritual half-breeds. And so they were not the most desirable. In, in Galilee, many in Galilee were considered uneducated, and they were maybe not as most desirable, and yet here Jesus, he's going right in between the both of them. Many people would kind of com- completely avoid it altogether. Jesus has a heart and is willing to go where many people don't go to reach all. Jesus sees you and I. He sees The heart of desperation no doubt would see these individuals and see these 10 who are calling out and crying out for mercy and pity and he sees the deadly disease of leprosy that's affecting him. The encouragement here is no matter how desperate the situation, and we've just got done saying we can remember our desperate situation. No matter how desperate, we can bring it to God. I mean, they were faced with leprosy. Not one, not two, ten lepers, ostracized, separated, cut off from the rest of society. It's a pretty serious, pretty severe situation. This wasn't just that they had a hangnail and a boo-boo. It was serious physical, serious emotional Potentially some serious financial needs as a result of what they've gone through. They had big needs and they were ready to call out and cry out to the Lord. It's a great encouragement. It's a great reminder for us. We too can call out and can cry out to the Lord. I don't know all the specifics of maybe what you've brought in with you. Just a little bit ago, as we had some prayer needs and requests on the screen, we've got a a decent idea of what many of those individuals and, and situations are about. But there's so many that we bring in with us, and so many things that change week to week or day to day. We might not have all the details, but we know that we can come to God. God is approachable. We can cry out to him. Sometimes what we do is is we kind of deny what we're facing and what we're dealing with. We deny that it's really that big of a deal. We just kind kind of minimize it. I'll take care of it, no big deal. Let's not worry about denial. Let's just simply take the need in its reality to God. We can approach him. Hebrews talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to kind of inch our way and 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 kind of so embarrassingly, you know, God, I've kind of got this need. Could you could you maybe sort of will you we can come boldly to say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. There seems to be no way. So God, I bring it to you. We can approach God. Sometimes we can get caught up in comparison. If we're not denying that we've got a need, sometimes we, we get caught up in comparison to say, well, well, so-and-so, their need was met, and I don't think my need's as big as theirs, so mine better get met. Or we go the opposite way and say, well, my need's even bigger, so I doubt if God will do anything about that. Sometimes we're comparing. Is our need bigger? Oh, I'm not not sure if I should do anything or say anything, or God sure seems busy. Just add one more big thing to his, his plate. Sometimes we, we feel like, well, our needs are, are smaller, and we look around and, and we see, well, so-and-so's facing this, and they're facing this, and man, what I'm facing, it doesn't seem quite as, as monumental. So I just kind of keep it to myself. I'll, I'll deal with it. Big or small. I've said it many times before, if it's important to you, it's important to God. God is approachable. You and I, no doubt you've met somebody. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a family member, a mom, a dad, a grandparent. Maybe you had somebody that you fearfully would approach for something. To go up and, and ask your boss for a day off, it, it was just you were, you were fearful to approach them because you didn't know what they might say. Or maybe asking mom or dad for a little bit of extra spending money, whatever the case might be, you, you and I, there's probably at least somebody that comes to mind that we were a little hesitant to approach because of their personality. Maybe they had a little bit of a temper and we didn't know what we would get. We didn't know what kind of a mood they were in. Was it going to be a good mood or a bad mood? And so we were kind of walking on eggshells as we would deal with this person, trying to figure out when is the best time to kind of put my request in. Wait till they're in a good mood and then ask them for a day off. You getting the drift? Sometimes we feel as if we've got to do that with God. We feel like, okay, let me see, I've got this big need, and it's a big ask to God. But before I do that, let me me make sure that I show up to church a little bit. Let let me make sure that maybe I drop something in the the offering plate. Let me make sure that I read my Bible today. And and we feel like we've got to somehow do something to get on God's good side so then we can come to Him and, and ask. Understand, God is approachable. There is is no need to sense fear, no need to to, to sense that, that we can't come to God. Yes, he's a holy and a pure God. He's a loving God, a loving Heavenly Father. We can bring our needs to him. So these individuals, they were approaching and yelling and calling out Jesus, Master, have mercy, have pity on us. They were calling out to God because they believed He was approachable. You and I can remember that. In the midst of whatever it is that we are facing, remember that God is approachable. Now, Luke 17, we're not all the way to the end of the gospel, but. Ultimately, you know, I know as we read the Word of God, Jesus is on his way to the cross. That's the ultimate goal that he's living out the Father's instructions. And yet, in the midst of this ultimate obedience, he stops to meet needs. He stops to approach people who need healing and blessing and provision and encouragement. Understand this. Yes. God is holding our world and holding our universe together. He's got a lot of things on his plates. But he's never too busy to hear from you and to hear from me. So remember. Remember the desperate situation that we've been in or the desperate situation that we are in currently. And remember that God is approachable. He desires to hear and and desires to answer. Next, remember that blessings often follow obedience. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. It's interesting. Jesus didn't have this long discussion. He didn't have this long dissertation about what leprosy is and trying to illuminate them and and teach them all about leprosy. What we simply read is, he saw them, no doubt heard them as they called out. And he simply said to show yourselves to the priests. That was some of the instructions. If you felt you were uh, healing and, and progressing and getting better, you would show yourself to the priest, and they would kind of compare what your skin looked like now to what it looked like before to see if you were heading in the right direction. They were the ones to oversee those things. The end of verse 14 says, And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, Jesus didn't touch them. Jesus didn't say, you're healed. He simply said, go and show yourselves to the priest. A simple word of instruction, and they could have taken that a lot of different ways. Isn't this the one who heals people? I mean, I've heard he's healed blinded eyes and and raised people from the dead. I've heard all kinds of things about him and he just tells me to go see someone else. They had a choice to obey. Will they obey the word of Jesus or obey their own words? They obeyed and experienced incredible blessings of healing. Jesus gave them the word to go, to go see the priests. But just imagine, they're looking down at their bodies. The hands and arms of one man maybe are, are still mangled from the effects of the disease. Another man looks at his leg, which ends with a filthy rag maybe at the knee. Still another looks at his skin, and it's as repulsive as ever. Nothing has changed. And yet, they headed off in search of the priest's. And on their way, as they went, they were healed. On their way, maybe that hand reappeared and tingled to life. A a crutch tripped on a filthy rag as that rag fell to the ground. The rest of the leg was back and mended and whole and healthy, complete. Skin cleared up and tiny hairs on the, the forearm turned from white brown. Maybe one looked at the other and the other looked at the rest. Screaming started. Smiles broke out into cheering and a sweet madness erupted. They raced off in the distance, maybe not even believing this nightmare was over. See, they started walking and obeying in faith before those circumstances changed. And see, many times we want it backwards. We say, okay, God, you do something, you heal me, you bless me, you provide for me, and then I will faithfully obey you. I read your word, and boy, there's a lot of things in here I'm not doing. I tell you what, let's make a deal now, you've never made a deal with God, right? So' those people down the street at another church. Sometimes what we do. We say, God, if you will get me out of this desperate situation, then I will obey you. See, we have that backwards. We're trying to cut deals with God, say, God, you work on my life, you work in my situation, and then I'll be willing to obey. We've got to flip that around. It starts with obedience. We are to obey because that's what God's word says we are to do. And as we obey, many times His blessings will follow. Does that mean it's 100% guaranteed? Well, if I just start obeying one little thing, then boy, my my pocketbook's going to get rich and wealthy and my my physical body's going to be entirely cleaned and and healthy and and it's just all magically going to happen overnight. It's not a guarantee. But we've got to make sure that we get this in the right order. It's not, okay, God, you show me something and then I'll obey. It's God, I will obey you. And as I do, many times God does come with blessings. Many times God does come with healing and provision. But we're sitting around saying, well, God, you better act first. First. God's already acted. God's given his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. And he desires that we would obey. Many times, blessings follow obedience. See, faith doesn't need evidence. That's why it's faith. Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith simply obeys. We don't see everything, we don't understand everything, but we obey what God in his word says. We don't wait until all the problems are resolved, all the situations have been taken care of, and then say, well, I think my life is perfect now. Now I'll think about obeying you. We simply come, we simply obey, and put our trust in him. We don't put conditions on him. God desires faith, God desires obedience, and as we do so, many times God follows up healing, blessing, guidance, direction, provision, encouragement. But we are to obey and to honor him. Lastly this morning, here's a final reminder for us. Remember that thankfulness leads to action. So they call out to Jesus. Jesus says to go present yourselves to the priests. So they go, and while they're going, they're healed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. He was another, he was kind of a, a double outcast, an outcast as a Samaritan, an outcast as a leper, and yet he returns to say thanks. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, thankfulness is a decision. It's a choice on our part. And unfortunately, many times, thankfulness is chosen by a small percentage of people. We can choose to live thankful. I mean, Jesus notices this. One returns to say thanks, but he says, weren't there nine others? Weren't there a total, there was 10 of you in a desperate situation, you were all healed and just one returned. Certainly, there are others who experienced that healing as you. There's many different reasons why maybe these lepers would not return. I'm I'm sure you could think of some good excuses. I'm, I'm sure you and I could come up with some. Here's some that others would say. One of them perhaps waited to see if the cure was really real. At last, one waited to see if it was going to be that way tomorrow. One decided, I don't think I even had leprosy to begin with. One said, Well, I was already feeling improved. One said, I would have gotten better on my own anyway. One gave glory to the priests. He went to the priests to get checked and found he was healed, so it must have been them. One said it really wasn't Jesus. It was my diet and exercise. I I think I'm really to to thank. Another one said, Well, any rabbi, any teacher could have done that. Here's a pretty common one. Maybe one of them said, I'll see Jesus later. I'll thank Him later. The giving of thanks. How many, how many times don't we have that and, and we say, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And it's, and it's on our list and it's on our list and, and we'll, we'll do it later. And, and the challenge is getting to it. Thankfulness leads to action. Do we thank God for his many blessings. In the long-running animated television show, The Simpsons, the family was sitting down for a meal. The dad, Homer, asked his son, Bart, to give thanks before the meal. So Bart prayed, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Now we listen to that and we... Man, what what an irreverent thing for a a television show, cartoon or not. But doesn't it reveal the truth behind many of our lives? We enjoy the blessings of God. We enjoy the faithfulness of God. We enjoy His, His faithfulness in so many levels, but we really don't say thanks. It's as if we, we said the same thing. Well, God, I did this all myself. I bought all these things as a result of my job. I did all of these things because of my mind and brain. God, you really haven't done anything. It's all been me and, and my health and my hands. And, and sometimes we shut God out. Of the Thanksgiving department. This morning, these next couple of weeks, this month of November, remember thankfulness leads to action. The key is to what we sung about it it's called give thanks, not feel thanks. We're good at feeling thankful. Do we literally give thanks? Do we literally express thankfulness? So, true thankfulness for you and I to the Lord and to others, true thankfulness is prompt. This one man, it says, when he saw, he came and gave thanks. There's a promptness. As God ministers, as God blesses our, our heart, our life, our family, our body, etc., Let us be prompt in our thankfulness to Him. It's prompt. True thankfulness is personal. He came right back to Jesus, the one who had spoken the words to Him, that as they went, He was sealed. He did it right away. He came to the individual. It was passionate. It was real. It says... He came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Some other versions would would read or translations would say that he came face down to the Lord. It It was honoring and respecting and thankful to him. Let's not forget about what God has done. Thanksgiving is more than just one Thursday every 365 days. I would venture to say God does many blessings in our hearts and in our lives on other days, not just the fourth Thursday of November. Can we live and lead in a life of thankfulness to God? It leads to action. There's a tribe in West Africa called the Maasai tribe. I've read they have an unusual way of saying thank you. Translators tell us that when the Maasai express thanks, they bow, they put their forehead on the ground and say, my head is in the dirt. When members of another African tribe want to express thanks, they sit for a long, uh, a long time in front of the hut Of the person who did the favor and literally say, I sit on the ground before you. Those different expressions of thankfulness, they understand this thought of thankfulness well. Thankfulness is a matter of humility, and thankfulness is a matter of action. Let's not just feel thankful to the Lord. Let's offer thanks. Let us give thanks to him. There are many things in our lives, even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of heartaches and discouragements, there are many things that we can stop and pause and express thankfulness to the Lord for. True thankfulness leads to action.